Uh, let's turn in our Bibles to uh, John chapter 15 this morning. John chapter 15. We're going to be looking today in John chapter 15. Continuing our study through this portion of Scripture that deals with abiding in Christ. Jesus said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. As we learned in verse number 1, Jesus is the true vine, the only genuine source of spiritual life that there is. If we seek to find spiritual life anywhere else, we'll be disappointed, frustrated, and ultimately will be doomed to hell for all of eternity. The father is the husbandman, and that is he's the one in charge of the vineyard. And as the heavenly husbandman, he tends the vineyard, frequently pruning the branches. Last week we looked at verse number 2, at that process of pruning and what that looks like. It involves uh, discarding the unfruitful branches and trimming or cutting back the fruitful branches so that they can bear even more fruit in the future. And now this week we come to verse number 3, a short verse, but large in its implication. Verse 3, Jesus said, Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. There's some play on words here kind of that um, we need to look at. In verse number 2, Jesus talks about the pruning process and, and there's the, uh, the branches that are unfruitful that are taken away. And the idea of that word taken away is to be lifted up and carried off. But then the fruitful branches in verse 2, it says that he purgeth. It. And the idea of purging is to remove the unnecessary, to remove the dead wood, to remove the unprofitable, unhelpful parts of something, to cleanse it through the process of removal. So in verse number three, when he says, Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you, he's referring to really the same process of pruning here. But in verse 3, he's telling us what the implement is, what the tool is that the Heavenly Father uses to accomplish the pruning. The Bible, the Word of God, is the tool that the Father uses to prune and to purge the branches. And the title of today's message is The Pruning Shears of Scripture. The pruning shears of Scripture. Heavenly Father, help us as we study your word right now to set aside what we think we already know so that we might be able to listen with fresh ears to the truth that you have for us. And Lord, that we would have a proper view of Scripture and its role in our lives. That it's not just a good luck charm, it's not just a how-to manual to reference whenever we have a problem we can't solve, but that it is the main tool that you use to make us what you want us to be. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. When you think about that process of pruning a plant, a vine or a fruit tree or something like that, it's a pretty involved process. 
The vine dresser has to come very close to the plant, has to examine it, make a determination about what needs to stay, what needs to go. And then he takes out those pruning shears, or maybe he's using a knife or a saw, as they might have done back in Bible times. But he takes that instrument, that tool out, and it has to come in contact with the branch. And then force has to be applied. The shears have to be squeezed, the knife has to be pulled, the the saw has to be worked back and forth. And through that, cuts are made in the plant. In the same way, for God's Word to do its pruning work in our lives, there has to be forceful contact of the Word of God to our lives. And it has to be a regular contact for us to benefit from it the most. A healthy branch understands the need for pruning. If we could, if we could uh, uh, make, uh, personify a vine for a moment here, if the vine's branches were healthy, they would understand that the farmer is not trying to harm them with all of this pruning, but he's trying to help. And as you and I are branches and Jesus is the vine, we must understand that whatever pruning God does is for our good and we should willingly submit to that pruning. It's the unfruitful branch that fears the pruning shears because for the unfruitful branch, it means removal. A proper relationship to the Word of God is essential then to this idea of abiding in Christ. And we're going to revisit this in the near future, but today we kind of lay the foundation, the groundwork for the role of Scripture in our lives. But look with me at verse number 7. Just so you know where this is going, Jesus says in verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. If my words abide in you, Jesus said. If Jesus' words are not abiding in you, then you are not abiding in Him. The Word of God is essential to an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. God uses His Word to show us sinful attitudes and actions, selfish thoughts and desires, so that we could remove them through repentance and confession. And no other tool can accomplish what the Bible accomplishes for us. I'm very thankful that we live in the information age. I'm thankful for the printing press that was invented centuries ago. I'm thankful that we have access to so much information. But no devotional book will ever do for you what the Bible can do for you. No writing of man, no commentary, no theological book, no TED Talk can do for you what Scripture can do for you. Scripture is a hammer that chips away the rough edges of our hard heart. It's a sword that cuts clean to our innermost being. It reveals our thoughts and our motives, even when we may not acknowledge that they are there. God uses His Word to show us what we need to change. And if His words are abiding in us, then they will have a sanctifying effect on our lives. And if we are not being sanctified by the Word of God, then God's Word is not abiding in us. And I want you to think with me about the illustration of a pair of pruning shears this morning. 
for pruning shears to work properly, there's a couple of things that have to be true. First of all, they have to be sharp. All right, that's something that is kind of a given. If you think of pruning shears, obviously it's a cutting instrument. It, it has to be sharp. But you know, sometimes if you have a pair of shears for a long time, uh, they can get rather dull. And so one of the things you do to maintain them is frequently sharpen them. So there has to be a sharpness there. But then there are also, if you think about how a pair of pruning shear, shears work, there is, um, they're designed so that they produce a lot of power. Archimedes described the lever many, many millennia ago. And he said, give me a lever long enough and I can move the world. You know, pruning shears are just two levers stuck together. And what they do is when you squeeze on them, that motion of squeezing, the force is multiplied into a little tiny area there to produce that cut. If you don't believe me, stick your finger in the jaws of it and squeeze on it and see what happens. You don't want to do that. There's a lot of force there. And some, uh, some pruning shears are designed to multiply it even more through uh, different ways that they construct them. So there's a sharpness there. There's a strength there to it. And the purpose of it ultimately is to make a clean cut on that plant, whatever it is, so that you don't harm the plant, but you help the plant. Now, I want you to think with the, me this morning how the Word of God does the same thing in our life. Through its sharpness, through its strength, it sanctifies us. Now, I'm going to use a different letter for my alliteration. I'm going to use the letter P, and I want to use, first of all, the word precision to describe the sharpness of the Word of God. So, number one, consider with me the precision of Scripture. The precision of Scripture. When you sharpen something... What you do is you take a, uh, some kind of a stone or other sharpening uh, medium of some sort and you are going to remove metal from whatever that is, that knife, those scissors or those pruning shears and you're going to create a point on that whatever it is. And the idea is you want to get it down to as fine of a point as possible. That's how something becomes very sharp. Now that is necessary when you're pruning so that your cuts are precise. If you have a dull pair of shears and you put them on the plant and you squeeze down, it's going to crush, it's going to tear, it's not going to produce a clean cut. And the result is you could actually harm the plant more than you're helping it. You could create more of an injury to the plant that would invite some kind of a rot or uh, something like that, some kind of a disease that wouldn't be helpful for it. Well, when it comes to Scripture, Scripture is the most precise pruning tool there is. There is no sharper tool for cutting to the heart of man than Scripture itself. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. You may know this verse by heart. But Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12 talks about the precision of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 12, says, For the word of God is quick and powerful, and what's that next word? Sharper. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The writer of Hebrews here uses the imagery of a sharp instrument, namely a sword, to help us understand how God's Word works in our life. 
Now the purpose of a sword or a knife or pruning shears is to produce cuts. And in order for that to happen, it has to be sharp. It has to be sharp. The Word of God is so sharp, according to Hebrews 4.12, that it can pierce even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. That's something interesting. Uh, when you think about how God has created us, we are created with body, soul, and spirit. The outer man consists of the body. The inner man consists of the soul and the spirit. And, and the soul and the spirit are so intertwined as we think about who we are and we think about even how Scripture des des describes us that sometimes, honestly, it's hard to tell the two apart. But you know, the Scripture in God's Word is so precise that it can even make that fine of a cut to dis discern between soul and spirit. Or to use the physical example here, uh, to the joints and the marrow. Now, that's talking about your skeletal structure. In your, you have your bones. Your bones are consisted of joints. Inside your bones, you have the marrow uh, that uh, most of your red blood cells are produced there. And the Word of God is so precise that it can cut through all of that and get down to the most minute and finest detail of even your innermost person. And that's what the Word of God is. It is the sharpest instrument there is because it cuts to the heart of man. Now specifically, notice the end of verse number 12. Here's how it cuts. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You know, there are things that we think that we don't even realize we think them. There are things we believe and we act out those beliefs but we don't even really realize it because we've never stopped to think about why do I do this or why did I say that or this, that or the other. We just kind of do it by habit, not consciously as it were. But did you know that the Word of God is so sharp that it can cut down even to the deepest part of us and tell us why we think what we think and why we do what we do? You know, that question, the question why, has been a question that philosophers have asked and tried to answer for thousands and thousands of years. And any of them who try to find answers other than in Scripture come to the wrong conclusions. Because only the Bible can tell us with 100% accuracy why we do what we do and why we think what we think. The Bible is the sharpest because, number one, it's the most accurate. It's the most accurate. It tells us exactly what is true about ourselves. You know, they say that a dull kitchen knife is even more dangerous than a sharp one. Because when you use a dull knife, you have to put too much force into it, and you've got to saw back and forth, and it can slip, and, and you can get hurt. And you know how it is working with a dull knife. You're trying to cut something, trying to make a clean cut, and it just makes a mess of it, right? The Word of God never makes a mess of our lives. It always cleanly and accurately describes everything about us that we need to know. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. But not only is it sharp because of its accuracy, it's sharp because of its absoluteness. It's sharp because of its absoluteness. In John 17 and verse 17, Jesus praying, He said in His prayer, Sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy word is truth. We live in a world that by and large, 
people do not believe in absolute truth. They believe in some form of relativism. Whatever is true for you may be true for you, but it's not true for someone else necessarily. Everybody gets to pick their own truth, is what many people think. But you know, the fact is, there is an absolute standard of truth, and that is the Word of God. God's Word is truth. Not just, it, it's not accurate to say it contains truth only. It's true that it contains truth, but that's because it is truth. It's not true to say, well, you can find truth in Scripture only. No, it is the truth. It is the standard. And it is absolute. Listen, we don't come to the Bible to bargain with God about what is true and isn't true. We come to the Bible to find out what God has already declared to be truth. God's Word is truth. It is absolute. It is definite. There's no question about it. At least there shouldn't be in our minds. God's Word is sharp. It's precise. Sometimes, though, we, we fail to benefit from the precision of Scripture because either we don't apply it at all, or number two, we don't apply it properly. And the first problem, we just have little to no interaction with the Bible whatsoever. We don't read it, we don't study it, we don't meditate on it. The only Bible some people get is when they show up at church on Sunday and they hear the preacher or the Sunday school teacher talking about it. Look, with that little contact with Scripture, you're not going to get much benefit out of it. It's precise. But that doesn't do you any good if you're not allowing it to do its work. And then still sometimes people don't benefit from the preciseness of Scripture because they apply it incorrectly. When you're dealing with a sharp knife, it's possible to make a wrong cut. You've got to be careful how you use it. And that's why 2 Timothy 2 says that we're to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Taking Scripture and using it as God intended. Some people view Scripture like a book of magic spells. They'll memorize a few verses and, and uh, they'll spit them out in, in some kind of a recitation expecting for something magical to happen. Look, the Bible is not a book of magic spells. Some people treat it like a good luck charm. You know, like a rabbit's foot. That's always mystified me. Why is a rabbit's foot considered lucky? It wasn't very lucky for the rabbit, was it? But they view it as some kind of a good luck charm. You know, if I, I, I have a Bible, I carry a Bible, I read the Bible, and good luck will happen. Good things will happen to me. God didn't give us the Bible to be a good luck charm. He didn't give us the Bible to be a book of magic spells. He gave us the Bible to change us so that we would read in it and we would learn in it who we are, what we are, why we are, and how we need to change so that we can be more like Christ. It's precise. There is no sharper cutting instrument than the Word of God. But number two, I want you to consider with me the power of Scripture this morning. Not only the precision, it's accurate, it's absolutely right, but also the power 
of what the Word of God can do. Again, those pruning shears are designed so that as you, as you apply force with your hands, it's multiplied through the jaws of that cutting instrument. And so if you could imagine, if you were to take two knife blades and just try to pinch them with your fingers on a limb, that would be very hard to cut through. But the pruning shears produce a tremendous amount of power to accomplish what it needs to accomplish. Well, the Word of God is the same way in that it contains a tremendous amount of strength and of power. One of my favorite verses of Scripture about the Word of God is Jeremiah 23, verse 29. The Lord said, Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? I like the imagery there. Fire is just... Uh, it, it, to me, it's, it's mesmerizing. We've had a fire going in our house the last few days with all the cold weather we've had. And, and uh, something about a fire, you can just sit there and stare at it and just kind of creates that nice uh, atmosphere and ambiance and everything. And something mesmerizing about it. But there's also something very powerful about it. You can take a, a, a huge stack of woods and convert it to just a small pile of ashes in a short amount of time through the, through the energy that is released through the burning of wood. And God's word is like a fire that consumes and is like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. We had a saying at the cabinet shop when I worked there, well, if, if at first you don't succeed, get a bigger hammer. That's what, that was our saying. Because, uh, 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 you, and you, you guys that have worked on stuff, you've all experienced this before. You're trying to, you're trying to maybe uh, uh, move something or, or put something in place and, and it's getting a little frustrating. It's, it's getting a little hard. And, and so you, you start ramping up your tool selection. You know what I'm talking about? You start, maybe you're getting a bolt off and you have the small wrench and that isn't going. So you go to the bigger breaker bar and it's not going there. So finally you get out the six foot pipe and you say, I wasn't asking, right? <laughs> Got to have some more power behind it there. You've got to have a hammer that will break the rock in pieces. Well, that is Scripture. It is the most powerful tool there is. The power of Scripture is, number one, an enlightening power. It's an enlightening power. The power to give, you, give us the knowledge that we need. Psalm 119, verse 130, The entrance of thy word giveth light. It giveth understanding to the simple. The word of God has the power to inform us of what we need to know. And that begins, first of all, at salvation. How does one come to know that they're a sinner and they need a Savior? How does one come to know that the Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ and that He died, was buried, and rose again? Through the Scriptures. Through the Scriptures. Faith cometh by hearing. And hearing how? By looking at a waterfall? By staring into the sky? No, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul said to Timothy, that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. The power of the word of God is an enlightening power. It tells us what we need to know. But number two, it's an effective power. It's an effective power. Turn to Isaiah chapter 55 for a moment. No other book has been so hated and so persecuted in the history of the world than the Bible. Why is that? Why have they tried to destroy it? Why do countries ban it? Why 
Is it illegal in some places? Because it's effective, that's why. It's the Word of God that never fails to accomplish what God wants it to. Isaiah 55, look at verse 10. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. God guarantees that His Word will always work. We don't get that kind of a guarantee anywhere else in life. Nowhere else can you go and find a 100% guarantee that whatever it is will always work. All the time, every time, without fail. And I don't care how good the product is. I don't care how good the service is. I don't care how well-meaning the manufacturer of that product would be. They put lifetime warranty on there. Just know this. It's not going to work forever. Some of those warranties, you read through the details of those, and it's just like, okay, basically you're telling me that this is going to work until it doesn't work. What, is that? <laughs> what does that do for me, you know? But not Scripture. Not Scripture. Scripture always does what God wants it to do. Notice the shalls in verse number, uh, verse number 11 here. Um, first of all, there's a shall not. God says, it shall not return unto me void. God sends His Word out to do a task. It's not going to return to Him unless it's accomplished that task. It's not going to return void. It will do what God sent it out to do. It shall not return void. It shall accomplish that which I please. It does what God wants it to do, not what we want it to do. Unfortunately, there's not always, those are not always the same things. Sometimes we want God's Word to do one thing, and God says, that's not what I want it to do. God says, it will do what I please, not what you please. Sometimes we wish that the Bible were like a book of magic spells. That we could just, you know, recite this portion, and this magical thing would happen. This problem would be solved. We'd have provision for this particular need in the way that we want it, etc., etc. But that's not how God wants His Word to work. It will accomplish what He pleases. And notice the third shall here. It shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. Prosper. That implies there's a benefit to it. Not this prosperity gospel nonsense that is so uh, uh, popular today, but, but true prosperity is spiritual prosperity, and that is accomplishing the spiritual benefit that God wants it to do in our lives. That begins, first of all, with salvation, but as we'll see in just a moment, it extends through the process of sanctification as well. God's Word has an effective power. It always works. This is so important for us. We're going to be having these biblical counseling classes starting up next month. Why, why are we calling it biblical counseling? And I'll say more about this in, through the course of that class and maybe in some messages in the future. But there's a difference between just plain generic Christian counseling and true biblical counseling. And what we're going to be talking about is biblical counseling. Not putting Christian words to secular psychology, but going to the Bible and finding the answers that God has for everyday problems. Why is it so important that we are firmly set in our minds that God's Word is the only effective tool 
for eternal change. It's because there's such a great temptation to go anywhere and everywhere else to find answers and solutions to life's problems. Our first instinct anymore, if we have a problem, is not, well, let's see what God says. You know what our first instinct is? Google it. Right? Uh, look, we do this all the time in the house. Kids will ask me a question. What do I do? I ask my wife. If she doesn't know, then I'll Google it. Which if she doesn't know, there's a good chance Google doesn't know either. But anyway. No, we Google it. Now, you know, if you're just trying to, you know, figure out some weird science question that your 14-year-old son asked you, that's fine. But, you know, a lot of people do that with life problems. I'm struggling with this. I wonder what I should do. Go to Google. What should I do if I'm feeling depressed? What, what should I do if I lose my job? What should I do if I have a fight with a friend? And they go to Google. You know, the scary thing is, the scary thing is you might find something good on there. Why do I say that's scary? Because in order to find that something good, you're probably going to have to sift through a hundred really bad things to find it. And when we get into the habit of going to what man says first, that's a problem. We need to understand that only God's Word has effective power. It always accomplishes what is good and what is right. Man's Word can fail. God's Word never does. But number three, I want you to notice that God's the power of God's Word is an enduring power. It's an enduring power. Jesus, in Matthew 24, 35, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. I love the, I love the fact that I can read for myself in this book things that people have been reading for literally hundreds and thousands of years. Now, not in English. That didn't happen until about 500 years ago when it first was translated by William Tyndale into the English language. But in the other languages, in the original languages, people have been reading the same things that I'm reading today. Why? Is that just chance? No. It's because God promised that He would preserve His Word to every generation. That every generation would have access to the pure words of God. It is an enduring power. What good would it be for us to say that the Bible is given by inspiration of God and is inerrant and is infallible, but God never preserved it? That doesn't do you and I any good. If we don't believe in the preservation of Scripture, then the inspiration of Scripture doesn't, doesn't do us a thing. The Word of God is, has an enduring power. It shall exist forever. For all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. First Peter chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. It's an enduring power. You can wake up tomorrow, and the word of God will be there for you. Next week, when you have a new problem to face, the word of God's going to be there for you. A year from now, when you're going through a trial you never imagined, the Word of God will be there for you. It's an enduring power. The precision of Scripture, the power of Scripture, and the result of these two put together is number three, the purging of Scripture. The purging of Scripture. 
In our text of John 15, 3, Jesus said, Now are ye clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. The Bible, when applied properly, will always have a cleansing effect on your life. I can make that statement because of what God says about his word. He says that it will not return void. It will always accomplish what he pleases. It will prosper in the thing that he sent it to. And Jesus said, you are clean through the words which I've spoken. So that means when we take the word of God and we apply it properly, it always has a cleansing effect in our lives. Ephesians chapter 5 says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water. How? By the word of God. This is the cleansing agent that God uses for our sanctification. When I use the word sanctification, I'm talking about the process where you and I are changed to be more like Christ. That involves the removal of sinful things and unnecessary and unhelpful things and the addition of Christ-like character traits. That process of sanctification is accomplished through the Scripture. Notice how the Scripture purges us. Number one, it purges us through the purifying from sin. Psalm 119 verse 9, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. How are you and I going to know if something is truly sinful? Now there are some things that God has written in the hearts of man and our conscience that we can know. You might want to say instinctively, I don't know if that's a good word or not, but that's the idea that it's wrong and you shouldn't do it. Okay, everybody understands that stealing is wrong. Even the people who steal, they understand it's wrong. If you don't believe me, go take their stuff and see how they respond, okay? And murder, people understand it's wrong. There are some basic things that, that we all can know through our conscience, but when we get into the details, how are we going to know what is sin and what needs to be removed from our lives? Are we left to guess? Are we left to figure it out on our own? No, God has revealed to us in His Word exactly what is right and what is wrong and how we should live and how we shouldn't live. And so the first way that Scripture pur uh, cleanses us and purges us is by purifying us from sin. But as we take heed to the Word of God, we cleanse our way. I love the illustration that James uses in James 1 verses 22 through 25. He says, when you look into the Bible, it's like looking into a mirror. What does a mirror do? All it does is reveal the facts. All right? If you don't like what you see in the mirror, the problem's not the mirror. Okay? It's just doing the best it can with what you gave it. And as you look into the Word of God, it, like a mirror, reveals facts. And many of those are things that need to change in your life. But James says, if you look, in, if, if you look into the law of liberty and you don't do it, you are a hearer of the word, but not a doer of the word. You're like a man who looked in the mirror, but then forgot what he looked like and went away and never did anything about it. The word of God reveals to us the sin in our life that needs to be gotten rid of. There's a verse in the book of Amos. Amos 7 and verse number 8. The Lord said unto me, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a plumb line. Then saith the Lord, Behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not pass again pass by them anymore. 
You know, before modern uh, technology invented uh, laser levels, the most common way to see if a wall was plumb was to get a string and something heavy. And you would hang that string way up high and allow it to hang down in front of that wall. And as that plumb line, as it was called, would, would stop moving and become stationary, you could then measure to the wall and see, is this wall straight? Now the plumb line, all it did was show what was truly straight, what was right up and down. And God said to the children of Israel, I'm going to set a plumb line in you. I'm going to give you a fixed standard that's going to reveal what is right and wrong. And if, if the way you're acting looks crooked, the problem isn't the plumb line. The problem is the way that you're acting. You know, if the wall looks like it's bowed out in relation to the plumb line, you don't go to the middle of the plumb line and pull it out to match the wall. You change the wall. And that's what the Bible is for us. When we look in the Bible and we read that God says, this is the right way to think. This is the right way to speak. This is the right way to believe. This is the right way to behave. And we look at that and we say, well, that's not how I act. I don't like that. The problem is us, not the Bible. We don't need to change the Bible to fit our way of thinking. We need to change our way of thinking to fit the Bible. There's a purifying from sin. But then number two, the Bible purges us by the prevention of sin. Psalm 119.11 says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. So verse number 9 there, there's a cleansing of the way. That's getting rid of the sin that's already there. Verse 11, there's a prevention from sin. I'm going to hide God's word in my heart so that it will keep me from sinning more in the future. God has given us His Word not only to fix what is wrong, but to help us stay right. I think about the, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, in Matthew chapter 4, when He was tempted of the devil three different times there in the wilderness. Each time, Jesus responded to the temptation by quoting Scripture. It is written. It is written. It is written. That is how Jesus countered the temptation to sin. Now, if the sinless Son of God relied on Scripture to keep from sinning, how much more should you and I? We need to immerse ourselves in the Bible and allow the Bible to soak down deep in us to prevent us from giving in to those temptations. It purges us by the purifying from sin, by the prevention of sin. You know, there, if you will hide God's word in your heart, then when you are faced with temptations, the Holy Spirit will bring those things to your mind that God has spoken. You might be tempted to look at that, whatever it is, that item that you're interested in and think, oh boy, I wish I had that. You know, I've got to put up with this crummy old iPhone 11 here, you know. I wish I had the iPhone, what are they on now, 92? I don't know, I can't even keep track of them. And you're tempted to think, oh, I deserve a better phone. And the Holy Spirit will bring to your mind, be content with such things as you have. Take heed and beware of covetousness. And you'll say, you know what? This thing still works. I'm good. Now, if you need a new phone, don't, 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 I'm not preaching against new phones. Okay? Don't, don't misunderstand me. But you know that I'm saying that there are a lot of people who buy a lot of stuff just because they're di discontent with the stuff they have. All right? 
And when you hide Scripture in your heart, the Holy Spirit brings that Scripture back to your mind at that moment of temptation. I, I want to make sure that you understand this morning. Some people have given the idea, well, if you'll just memorize this verse on this particular sin, you'll, you'll, you'll never give in to that temptation. I, I kind of wish it worked that way, but it doesn't. I'm not just saying memorize one verse and you'll have victory over that sin forever. No, it's about hiding God's Word in your heart more and more all the time, saturating your life with Scripture. And the more you do that, the more resources you have in your heart for the Holy Spirit to draw from, to bring from your mind. So as you face those temptations, you've got more ammunition, as it were, to say no. There's the purifying from sin, there's the prevention of sin. But then number three, and finally, the purging of Scripture is accomplished because it provides for sanctification. There's the provision for sanctification. Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3 as, as we wrap up. Second Timothy chapter 3. Look at verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Truly furnished. You know God wants you to be truly furnished? He wants you to have everything that you need. He wants you to have every tool in your spiritual toolbox to accomplish whatever task He calls you to accomplish. How's that going to happen? How are we going to change to be more like Christ more and more? How are we going to remove the things that shouldn't be there and add the things that should? It's not going to come magically as we just sit around and wait for God to zap us in the head with spiritual knowledge. It's going to come through the ministry of God's Word in our life. It, the Word of God, is profitable that we might be perfect in Christ and truly furnished. The Bible gives us all the information we need to be what God wants us to be. I think the illustration of manna in the Old Testament is a really good illustration of what the Bible is. You know, the Israelites, when they came out of Egypt, it was not very long before they started grumbling and complaining about food. They didn't like what they had to eat. They didn't have much to eat and whine and complain. They began. And you know what the Lord graciously did? The Lord graciously provided their need in a miraculous way through a substance that they came to call manna. What was manna? Well, the word manna literally means, what is it? They looked and they saw this white stuff all over the ground. They said, what is it? And they said, we don't know, so we'll just call it that. And so they went out and they gathered this, what is it? And you know what they had for breakfast? They had, what is it? And you know what they had for lunch? What is it? And for supper, what is it? Day in and day out, God would send them, what is it? And day in and day out, they would gather it twice as much on the day before the Sabbath, none on the Sabbath, in keeping of God's command. 
And through that manna, God sustained the children of Israel for 40 years. You think you get tired of the menu around your house? I mean, you can only fix manna so many different ways, you know. Boil it, fry it, bake it. What else, you know? I'm not sure, but I'm sure some of the southern Israelites had manna gravy to go with it too. But, but what did they eat? Manna, 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 manna. Now, nutritionists will tell you that that's a very poor diet, very imbalanced. You're not going to be very healthy eating only one thing. You need a variety in your diet in order to be healthy. But you know what? Miraculously... God had provided for the Israelites in that manna everything they needed so that at the end of that 40 years, there's no record of anybody dying of starvation. In fact, they were healthy and strong when they entered the promised land and began to conquer it. Why? Because God had provided them in the manna and they learned to rely on the manna. And when they relied on the manna, all was good. When they got grumpy and complained about it, things didn't go so well. They learn pretty quick, all right? Stick with manna. You know what? The Word of God is just like that. God has given us everything we need in His Word. We're tempted to look elsewhere to the writings of men and this new thing and this new study and this, that, and the other, this new philosophy, this new program, and going all these different places trying to find something that we think we're missing when really what we need to do is just learn to rely more and more on the manna of God's Word. So I ask you, what kind of role does the Bible play in your life? Is it just a good luck charm or a decoration for you? Do you only interact with the Bible a couple times a week when you come to church? Or is it your essential spiritual food? Do you consume it a little every day because you know you need it to be able to thrive. Do you allow the Word of God to do its work in you, as we've been talking about this morning, about the purging that God accomplishes through His Word? Are you allowing the Word of God as it points out to you the things that need to change? Are you allowing it to do its work and saying, Lord, I've been wrong in saying this and thinking this and doing this. And Lord, I confess. Are you allowing God's work to change your life. Now, Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the word that you've given to us. And Lord, I pray that each of us would realize the importance of Scripture. Lord, there may be someone here that has never trusted Christ as their Savior. And it is only through the Word of God that they can come to understand that they're a sinner and they need a Savior. They've heard the Word, but now, Lord, they must respond to it. And Lord, if that's the case, I pray that they would place their faith in Christ. And Lord, there are many, many Christians here today. Lord, I believe, by and large who desire to do what is right. They want to grow. They want to please you. But perhaps they've neglected your word. They haven't been reading it as they should. They're not hiding it in their heart as they should. They're not 
following the instructions that you've given. So Lord, I pray that for them and for us today, we would be convicted of our need to be in the Word of God and to let the Word of God be in us. That it might change us to what we ought to be. And I pray these things in Jesus' name.